You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and today it is game day. It's the first day before a back-to-back. We've got Pacers Nets tonight, Pacers Raptors tomorrow, so lots to talk about on the court, and then the Pacers had their worst performance of the season on Wednesday against the Raptors. They get another crack at them on Saturday, so Locked on Raptors host Sean Woodley and I, we're going to team up, talk a little bit about that game from earlier this week and what could change and how the Pacers could potentially win or the Raptors could win again over the weekend. So fun show today, but unfortunately, this is Locked on Pacers, so every show has an injury segment. I need to get like a little soundbite of like injury updates from like another voice, but every show, I feel like I talk about injuries, and today is no different because Malcolm Brogdon got hurt during the Raptors game. Isaiah Jackson got badly hurt during the Raptors game, so we'll start with them, talk about the Nets, take a break. Sean Woodley's here. That's today. Let's start with injuries. That's what everybody wants to know about today. So Rick Carlisle spoke after practice today. Uh, He said that first Isaiah Jackson, he said, is going to be out for a while, which is bad. Uh, He didn't know the specifics, or he did know what the first opinion specifics were, but he wouldn't share it with us because they're going to get a second opinion uh, on whatever his injury is. So we don't really know. It does say knee on the NBA's official injury report. I think it says left knee. Let me double check while I'm talking. So it's a knee injury of some Kind, I think it actually just says left knee injury is why he's out for the for the uh, the Brooklyn game tomorrow. Yes, that is correct. Isaiah Jackson is out with a left knee injury, so it's not an Achilles thing, which some people were afraid of at first. So it's an, it's a knee thing again. But Carlisle said they're getting a second opinion before they determine any severity and timetable kind of stuff. Um, but he was walking in a brace today. No crutches now. Maybe who knows how that will evolve. But. Carlisle did say he would be out, quote, for a while. So it sounds like no Isaiah Jackson for a bit. Yesterday's show, we talked about what it would mean with him out for a tiny bit, but we don't really know. You know he wasn't in the rotation. It's not like that really impacts their like, winning games right now, Prospectus and Goga could play more. You know, they, they, The pivot from one young center to another it doesn't drastically change anything for the Pacers, but obviously it will slow his development and change the utility that the Pacers have because he did play some actual rotation utility minutes in the Pacers' first five games. So that is terrible for the for a young guy, terrible for the Pacers for different reasons. And the second injury, which is Malcolm Brogdon, who it is officially listed by the NBA uh, on the injury report. He's out, first of all, against the Nets tonight. It's listed as a sore left hamstring. Uh, Carlisle called it a strain, which is a li- basically the same thing. It doesn't. We're splitting hairs at that point. Um, he will not be playing against the Nets. I'd assume that you know hamstring strains probably like a week or two. You know he'll, he probably won't be back over this weekend. Maybe next week at some point. Malcolm Brogdon will return. It depends how severe it is, right? Those things can vary in intensity, but that's the the big one that is painful. No Malcolm Brogdon for the short term for a one and four team. That's killer. Uh, it's just bad. He's been playing very well for them this season, especially in clutch moments. So if Levert can return against the Nets, he's listed as questionable with that back issue. That'd be huge. They need the ball handling even more now than they did just two days ago. So, of course, the Pacers can never have more than three healthy starters at the same time. Apparently, maybe Levert can come to the rescue of Brogdon to at least a tiny extent until he is able 
to return. No guarantee that Levert will return. Again, he is listed as questionable for that game, but Brogdon's going to miss some time too. So the point guard rotation will probably see more. We'll definitely see more TJ McConnell, probably more Brad Wanamaker. It depends when Levert comes back. It's going to be up to those guys too. You know, Carlisle chose Wanamaker when the Pacers were getting just big bodied by the Raptors, right? He believes in his strength and his ability to kind of guide the offense. So I think that he'll lean on that a little bit and try it and see how it works, but we'll see. Pacers Nets is tonight. No Jackson, no Brogdon. We'll see when they return. No specific timetables. Carlisle is not a guy who shares anything too specific unless they get like, you know, the concrete with Levert was like, here's the reevaluation date. He'll share reevaluation dates, but rarely timelines or return dates. So when, how will the Pacers do against the Nets? After this week, you know, we're basically one full week into the season plus one day. I think after this week, every team will have played five to seven games and you really can get a feel for who these teams are i think we're on the cusp of i could have a guest for the nets on and they could explain this team better than you but there's so much just small sample size junk right now like miles turner's 40 point game makes his stats look crazy compared to what his season's truly been you know stuff like that is so prevalent now but one segment on the nets for today uh right now so the Nets currently are 2-3, and three, definitely underperforming the expectations people had set for them. And it's not that they're losing. They're getting smoked. They lost by 13 to the Heat. They lost by 16 to Charlotte, who was apparently awesome in making that Pacers loss look better, as is Washington. And they lost to Milwaukee by 23 on opening night. So the Nets, everybody thought that would be awesome this year because they have some stars. And one of those stars has been incredible. Kevin Durant, 30 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists. Look, I can preview a ton of this game. Where are the key matchups for the Pacers? Where are the key matchups for the Nets? What's the situations for these teams? How are they crossing paths? How can the Pacers get their advantages? And then Kevin Durant could just show up and decide to be an MF like he is, the best player in the league, and this game could all be over, right? The Nets are, are have just lost, right? They might want to come out and smack the Pacers in the mouth. They've alternated loss and win all season. They lost their last game, right? Maybe Kevin Durant comes out and looks awesome, and that could just be the crux of this game. He's just unbelievable. He, the Pacers have no answer for him. I will be curious if they try to go with Torrey Craig on him, who did okay at moments in the playoffs last year. I don't think, excuse me, in the regular for the Bucks in the regular season last year. Um, so that's an option, I guess, but they can't expect to contain him at all. And that could be the, the swing of this game because none of the Nets' stats really stand out. Right, they're 15th in three-point percentage. They take about an average amount. They're 25th in two-point percentage. They take just under an average amount. They don't get to the line particularly often. They're 15th in rebounding, kind of low in assists and steals. The only things they do well are they block quite a bit, and they're not like a crazy turnover team. Right, so they're they have a star, and they the rest of the guys on that team aren't playing very well. But one of the guys who should be playing well is James Harden, and he has it. And that's why this game becomes interesting. James Harden has been bad this year, like bad. There's no there's no other way to mince it. There's a million ways you can discuss why the rule change certainly impacts the fouls he is able to draw. I don't want to get into how much that that's not the only reason he's shooting less free throws at all, but it's one of them. But that's not the crux of why he's playing worse. He's shooting 36% from the field in general. He does not have the James Harden burst he had last year, coming off that hamstring injury that turned him into a lemon in the playoffs. He's just been a way worse player, right? So how how they can defend him changes with the way he's playing. Perhaps Carlisle can put way more attention on Durant and try to let Harden be Harden. That seems dangerous, but it might be the best way to beat this Nets team. And outside of those guys, no one has looked good for the Nets. Joe Harris is shooting better from three than he was at the end of last year and early in the season. And Patty Mills has had some big games. Uh, other than that, 
No one averaging a ton in the scoring department. Nobody really shooting lights out. LaMarcus Aldridge is playing okay, but he's not playing a lot of minutes, and his defense has been weak You know, at his advanced age, and he missed a lot of last season. So they're really just relying on Kevin Durant and some other – you know, rangy player or inconsistent player to step up and be awesome. And that that's a certainly a great strategy. Kevin Durant's amazing. At least that's what they have been so far. But there's always a chance that Kevin Durant just goes off and this game is over. Or James Harden figures out what's going wrong for him and this game is just over. But the Pacers have ways they can win this game. They've beaten the Nets uh, before. And a lot of that was via Sabonis, right? He punked DeAndre Jordan. Two years ago for a Pacers win, he did well against Nick Claxton in the past, even though Claxton is an excellent defender. Uh, they, I said this against the Raptors, and it became not true, but the new Nets center rotation does not seem like one that can defend Sabonis particularly well. I expect that he can have a good game against this team, and he was just, after practice today, Thursday for you listening yesterday, came out with impassioned, like, we have to come out with more energy. We look, you know, we're not ready to play and focus to the level we need to be at practice. Like, he was calling out his team, including himself. Like, it wasn't like he was singling anybody out or anything. It wasn't like... A problem. It was just a, a thing a player does when the team is losing. When they say, "Hey, we need to come out more intensity, ready to play." So Bonus said that. So I think he's going to certainly come out with some enhanced level of oomph in this, oomph, for lack of a better term, in this game against the Nets. And I'm looking forward to seeing what that is. And then the Nets, just in general, have not been a, like a defensively solid team for a while. They're 18th in defense this year. Their offense has really sucked. They're 29th, which is surprising. That will certainly certainly improve as the season goes along so they're below average in both categories but i think we all know that they can be potent on offense whereas they don't seem like a team that could be good on defense so anyone who can create their own shot or just really get into the paint is important in this game can mcconnell break down their defense and make their inconsistent defenders have an off night if karis overt plays can he get to his spots and what kind of role can he even have if he does play right can those though that might be it that might be the extent of it can brad wanamaker hit one dribble jumpers can jeremy lamb do enough on defense to keep him on the court because they don't have really anyone who can defend a guy like him on a possession-by-possession possession basis that they would want to put on Jeremy Lamb. So it's going to be on them to have big games. If Miles Turner can stop the drives of their ancillary players, he'll be big. He was better against the Raptors than he was earlier this week. So we'll see if he can can play a little more. And then Torrey Craig, I'll be curious to see where his minutes shake out as well, how Carlisle changes the rotation with no Malcolm Brogdon. It's certainly something to watch. So I think the Pacers can win just given the level the Nets are playing at so far this season uh, that there's certainly ways they can get advantages but I will never bet against Kevin Durant and what he's done to the Pacers in the past so while I do see how the Pacers they understand the urgency of this game they understand where they're at they could get Levert back they won't have Brogdon I just it's hard for me to predict anything in this game uh, but but the Pacers need to show some urgency win or loss because they played better against against the Nets or the excuse me the Bucks than I think they're giving themselves credit for but they need to win a game when they play well to really get some confidence in and look good with Toronto and San Antonio coming up. So let's talk about that Raptors game that's kind of changed the vibe fans have around this team. Let's get the Locked On Raptors host Sean Woodley in here to do that and then look ahead at this weekend's game. But first, I want to talk to you guys about McDonald's, who have been proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect a place where classmates can meet up to study. I did that in high school, knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and a place to get fries and McClure's. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, home team, away team can go to recharge, and it's a place where you can look forward to stopping on a long road trip to rest your legs. I used to go to McDonald's to get McClure's with my mom growing up. It's just a fun place to go. So head 
to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect. We could maybe even have a Locked On Pacers watch party there one time. We'll see. You got to go there, McDonald's. I'm loving it. Hey, Sean Woodley here from Locked On Raptors with uh, Tony East, one of my favorite people on the Locked On Podcast Network here talking Raptors Pacers. They played on Wednesday night. They play again on Saturday. Uh, the Raptors have an Orlando Magic filling to that Pacers sandwich. The Nets, I think, are the filling for the Pacers. Am I correct there, Tony? How's it going, buddy? <laughs> Unfortunately, you're correct that the Nets are the filling. Sean, today, here's what I was thinking about instead of trying to think about the Pacers getting embarrassed in, in Toronto. On Saturday, <laughs> we call Thursday Friday Junior. Why don't we call Wednesday like Friday the third or something? See, these are the mm. thoughts that I have to mm-hmm. avoid thinking about what happened to the Pacers Wednesday. <laughs> that was, uh, I mean, from my perspective, it was a good time. Uh, <laughs> it was their first win sure. at home since the last time they played the Pacers in Toronto, which was fun. They beat the Pacers by like forty six, I think, back in February. 2020 uh on a pretty good run of hilarious wins i think the one before that too was when they came back from down like 12 with two minutes left so they're on a run of beating the pacers in pretty funny fashion at home do you Uh, know the last pacers (laughs) win in toronto oh that's a good one do you know the Uh, year okay i could guess the year i will guess it's got to be a long time otherwise you wouldn't be asking me i'll say 2014 2013 very close wow that's uh and like some of those Pacers teams were good, right? Like 14, they went to the conference finals. Yep. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Maybe the Raptors. Wow. wow. Uh, well, it's crossover time, baby, which means we're going to talk about, uh, we're just kind of, we're going to go back and forth and learn about each other's teams. We got to get a, a, an original look at the Pacers and Raptors last night. And, uh, you know, there's more to learn. And I, this is, I, I think, a thing I'm going to miss about last season where you had those little mini series that teams would play is you got like the sort of adjustments and whatnot, and you could sort of think about, okay, that happened in game one. How does it apply to game two? Obviously, there's a game between these ones for the Pacers and Raptors, but, you know, same idea, basically. Pretty fresh in the mind will be these two teams. Uh, so, Tony, let me ask you. But we, we were talking about how the Pacers were very bad yesterday. They scored just 100 points against the Raptors, which, hey, most teams are having trouble scoring against the Raptors. Maybe the more concerning thing is the Raptors put up 118 on them and looked pretty good doing it. OG and OB kind of uh, realizing there is not a single person on this team who can guard me still, and we're going to leverage that for all it's worth. What's the deal with the Pacers, man? They're one and four. They've had some overtime games. It's maybe not as bad as it looks, but also maybe it's bad. What's the deal? Yeah, the the Raptors game that you guys just saw was their worst game by far, right? Mm-hmm. One point loss in Charlotte, whatever. The Hornets are actually looking good this year, right? That that looks okay. One point loss in Washington, same deal. Eh, but the Wizards look good. They only lost one time. They beat the Heat. They played okay against the Bucs. Actually played pretty well, but the Bucs are just better. And then that you saw that Raptors game where they, I mean, they didn't even look like they wanted to put up a fight. And that's a theme I keep hearing from people who watch the Raptors a lot is all these teams that play the Raptors, they come out of the game and they go, wow, we, you know, we had no fight when we, the whole game and we were turning it over too much and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I get how every team can think that, but I think the Raptors are just doing a really good job of taking teams out of their game. And they did a good job of it and embarrassed the Pacers on Wednesday. Yeah, they're very good at sapping the will to live of the other teams. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I get exhausted watching them play defense. Like, this, it just feels like it has to be a nightmare. Like, against the Mavericks on Saturday, they ended up losing in the second half because they kind of lost it a little bit. But in the first half, they were just like every single drive, there are three arms just in the way. There's just like arms 
all over the place. It's a tiresome amount of arms, it seems. And yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised the Raptors had a good defensive game against the Pacers. They really seemed to load up on Devonta Sabonis and realized, okay, this guy's the hub of the Pacers. And, you know, Chris Duarte is a fun story, but I don't know if we're trusting a rookie to carry the day against our defense. That's probably not going to go super well for him. And, you know, they took to Sabonis out. And then, you know, when that's the hub of your offense, it's going to be hard to create a whole lot. Are there any sort of like counters that the Pacers have when Sabonis is cut out like that? I know Brogdon is like a pretty good on ball guard, but maybe not exactly what you want to run your offense. Kind of akin to Fred Van Vliet in a lot of ways, I would say. What's the sort of deal? What's the game plan when a team does say, all right, Sabonis is our target and we're going to make life miserable for him and make it so the rest of the team can't really operate the way it typically would? Typically, it's finding someone else who can get into the paint and you know, make someone else get open or make cutters valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to credit Kalen Cooper for really getting this idea into my head before I rewatched the Pacers Raptors from Wednesday. But what they, they even started to do that in the third quarter because before this game got completely embarrassing for the Pacers. Remember, they cut it to like what five or six early in the third before Brogdon got hurt because yep. they were using Sabonis as a decoy a little bit to get other guys into the paint where they actually were able to score. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what their counter's been. And TJ McConnell has done well at getting into the paint despite not being particularly effective this year. And Brogdon has been carrying them in terms of getting into those areas. Miles Turner had a 40-point game because he was able to do it. Like they, they have guys who are able to do that when Sabonis is shut down. But against the Raptors, because they were just swarming the ball, coming around screens and forcing all these turnovers, they couldn't really get into that rhythm, especially once Brogdon exited the game and they didn't have the personnel even to get guys into the paint. So the Raptors... By fortune of that injury and by their brilliant game plan, just the Pacers had no answers. Yeah, and I feel like I'm kind of running the show here, Tony. Do you have any like Raptors Z sort of queries for me? You can uh, fire uh, them away at me as we kind of uh, you know assess where these two teams are at. Yeah, of course. How is it legal to have this many good ball handling six foot seven to six foot nine <laughs> players on the same team? Well, I think if you asked a Raptors fan if you pulled Raptors fans how many good ball handlers are there on this team they would say there's like two uh, because the half court offense does not look very good yeah like I understand like it's it's a weird sort of thing because even in the first game of the season they're starting five they threw out Fred Van Vliet with uh, Goran Dragic OG Ananobi Scotty Barnes Precious Achua and in theory all five guys can dribble and put the ball on the deck it just didn't lead to much in the way of success they scored like 83 points in that game the starting five was terrible I think it's a different sort of there's like the guys who like have a clear handle and then there's guys who know what to do with the handle. And I think like that's a much smaller number than the sort of number of guys just on in when you sort of look at it, who can put the ball on the deck and kind of have that sort of dexterity like Precious Achua. Love him. He's an absolute delight to watch and he's a chaos agent and he's great. But like, I don't think that guy has any clue what he's doing when he puts the ball in the deck. He just, like, is going with what happens, and that's kind of cool, where he's just, like, doing, like, pirate mentality, wherever the wind takes me, let's go. But it's not exactly going to, you know, lead to a lot of great offense. And then, like, even Fred Van Vliet, as much as, like, a good ball handler as he is, you know, he's got limitations. He's six feet tall. He can't finish around the rim all that well. And so that leaves you with, among all of the tall dudes with, with handles, like it's like Scotty Barnes, who is still a rookie, and there's you know, he's got more turnovers than assists right now. He's still kind of learning the team and learning the NBA speed from a playmaking perspective. He's got way more scoring punch than I ever thought he would, but as far as playmaking, it's still coming along. And even OG, like there's still 
you know, a little hiccup with the handle here and there. It's all guys who, like, I bet six months from now, we're going to be like, wow, everyone in this team has a handle, and it's, like, unbelievable. It's still kind of speculative at this point. But, yeah, that, that's the Raptors' MO, right? They have clearly decided, okay, we're going to try to be ahead of the next wave in the NBA, and they think the wave is everyone is tall and everyone can handle the ball and everyone can play defense. And then we figure out the offensive part later. And usually the offense will be helped by the fact that the defense is going to be very, very good and force turnovers. And you're going to run down the other team's throat and get a bunch of transition looks. You know, it, it was interesting last night that I didn't really think it was the transition game that really did much for them against the Pacers. It was more kind of leveraging that low post presence with OG and kind of having that, you know, turn into, you know, good things for everybody else. And then obviously Fred Van Vliet just cooking some bonus in space was pretty fun too. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, fun. Uh, it, very fun. Yeah. I, I had a really good time, but it, it was just a really sort of, I, I thought, you know, my sort of takeaway from the game was it was sort of a, an example of what the formula is going to be for this team where the defense kind of holds up and then they just kind of scrape out enough on offense. And I, I thought their half court offense looked better last night than it has all season long. And I don't know what that says about the Pacers because, you know, teams like the bulls and the wizards have done a really good job containing the Raptors so far this year. Maybe they're kind of finding their, their stride, their chemistry is coming along, but maybe there's something uh, unfixably wrong with Indiana. Who's to say <laughs> they have some embarrassing point of attack defenders Jeremy Lamb being high up on the list. And even though every time he plays the Raptors, you know he's going to shoot 70% and hit some ridiculous shots, as he did on Wednesday. He's no buzzer beaters last night. It was bizarre. No, yeah, for <laughs> Raptors fans, and no buzzer beaters for him is a big deal. His defense is atrocious. You know, Duarte, for how good he has been, he's a rookie playing defense. Like, Scotty Barnes yeah. is the outlier in that he's actually credibly good at doing so as a rookie. All right, Justin Holiday's thin, so he's good, but has limitations. O'Shea Brissett's kind of the opposite. You know, he's not quite quick enough to be awesome on that end. They didn't even go to Torrey Craig hardly last night until the fourth quarter. Right, that basically, if Miles Turner can't clean up every mess, like their point of attack mm-hmm. defense just doesn't allow them to do really well. And the other problem they have, and this is my second question to you about the Raptors, yeah. is they they never have had this. They can't contain strong forwards, like bulky, strong scoring forwards. And like OG put up 30 against them last year, you'll recall, yeah. in Indianapolis, right? So I was curious in this game if they would go to Craig to put on him. That seems like they're signing their solution. Great. Or how if they maybe would like overload him or try something else. And they're like, no, we have no answers. We're going to let him score 16 points in the first quarter. <laughs> so one, I read a lot this summer and heard a lot from the Raptors of like, this is OG's ascent year with Pascal out. No yep. more Kyle Lowry. Like he's going to have the ball more. He's going to be better. So one... How has he fit into that role? Because I know uh, Nurse talked pregame about he's kind of missed some layups, but in general has looked good as a self-creator. And two, uh, do you feel like that's a good role for him? Because he certainly kicks the Pacers' butt every time that he plays them. (laughs) Yeah, if they're playing the Pacers every time, yes. uh, All NBA level player, all OG and Anobi, it's uh, (laughs) undeniable. But yeah, I think with OG, you know, I think he's going to get there at some point where you're okay with him being like your 1-1-A type guy. I I don't know if that's going to happen this season. And there have been some growing pains with the sort of the burden of being the number one. And a, a bur- the burden of being a number one, I might add, when the other team, when the team's actual number one is out and there's not a lot of space on the floor. I mean, he's playing next to Precious Achua and Scotty Barnes in that front court. Neither guy is even like a remote threat to hit a three right now. And so there's not a ton of space he's operating with. And I think the worst of OG so far this season has been when he's kind of felt like he needs to force the issue, maybe some forced pull-ups where he's not quite on balance. And obviously you have to learn how to shoot off balance if you're actually going to be a bonafide number one one day. But I think the 
sort of the, t- the times Rojis looked best is when he's been like a really damn good number two, where he's been cutting, where he's been sort of, you know, he's been the trailer in transition waiting for those threes to kind of pop back out his way. You know, there's been a lot of number one stuff. And I think the last night against the Pacers, we're recording this on Thursday, by the way. It's also why I'm wearing the same clothes as I wore in the Thursday episode of Lockdown Raptors, if anyone's <laughs> thinking I'm a bum. Uh, but, you know, the the game against the Pacers, that was clearly the best he looked in that clear number one role. And he was leveraging just how little the Pacers had to throw at him into, you know, obviously getting some doubles sent his way and then finding, you know, Ken Birch underneath for an and one or finding Scotty Barnes flashing to the nail. That type of stuff is coming along. I think the reads are there. He's always been a good playmaker. I think it's just growing pain stuff, right? And you're going to have those games when you're learning the ropes as the number one where you're going to shoot three of 17 and have four turnovers and one assist. Like, that's just going to be how it happens. I I think the last few games have been really promising for him, though, and I think it's going to be really good for him when Pascal gets back because he won't have to have all of that burden. You know, he can be a guy who maybe sets a screen for Pascal and they can kind of run a weird three, four pick and roll. Uh, You know, he can be a guy who runs some pick and roll here and there, but it's not the primary way he gets his offense. He he can kind of post up as well. That's been a pretty interesting part of his game. So it's going to be kind of blend. And I don't think there will be a clear number one necessarily. I think Pascal will have the highest usage on the team, but the way OG is trending right now, I think if he kind of slots into that number two on this version of the team, it's going to be really good. And then obviously down the line, you know, maybe he can kind of become that number one where you're comfortable with him having 26% usage and he's going to be around a 57, 58 true shooting and you're going to be okay with that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And, you know, Pacers fans always seem to bring up that he was available in the draft uh, the year <laughs> they did not pick him and he went to the yeah, yeah. <laughs> TJ Leaf, you know, not in the league right now. So I always will be both curious in about his career because I talked to him at school and college and because now he's awesome and kicks the Pacers <laughs> butt every time they seem to play him. And I'm happy to see his ascent. I think he's like the perfect, like, okay, Fred Pascal OG is like a great trio for both being good and kind of growing with the young core that the Raptors have. Yeah, definitely. And I think... You know, I am really intrigued by how the Pacers are going to approach him in the next game. And, you know, how do they adapt to what obviously didn't work on Wednesday? And we should talk about that, Tony. We should uh, get to that in one second here. But uh, I think you have some words to pass along about our friends over at Bet Online. Am I correct? Of course I do, because they are back and better than ever. BetOnline.ag, they've got a new web interface for the start of basketball season. We're only a weekend, but it looks great. They have more props more odds and lines than ever before. They remain the number one place for all the basketball and football action this season. You can head over to their new updated desktop site or their mobile website and sign up today for all the action at betonline.ag. If you do sign up, and when you do, you use the promo code LOCKDOWN, you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. They've got basketball, football, baseballs in the World Series. Can't root for the Braves, never root for the Braves. NHL, boxing, UFC, Right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Do not wait to take advantage of everything they've got over at betonline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. What an admirable job you just did there, Tony. And I am now going to tell you about our friends over at Bet Online, who are, of course, making the best tasting protein bars. You can find anywhere they've got nine amazing flavors in their standard lineup including my favorite mint brownie they've got orange which is very good as well strawberries in there cherry bar c is quite good too and if you don't know which flavor you want you can get two of each of the nine flavors in a mixed box and then pick for yourself which one and what you want to order a full crate of 
Also, they have limited time flavors that pop up on the site from time to time as well, depending on the season. Right now, blueberry muffin might be lurking around out there, and I highly recommend if you see it on the site, snap it up because it's the best tasting protein bar I have ever tried, and that is among all of the pro- the, the built bar flavors. Blueberry muffin is hands down number one for me. It's awesome. I got to get myself a whole bucket worth of those. And also, again, built bars, as you know, are good for you and also great tasting. 17 to 18 grams of protein in all their bars, just four or five grams of sugar, four or five grams of net carbs and 130 to 180 calories in all their bars, much less than your standard, not at all good for you candy bar. Go to built.com, use the promo code locked on, all one word, and get 15% off your order. That is the promo code locked on, or sorry, locked 15, that is for 15% off at built.com. All right, Tony, uh, game uh, two between the Pacers and Raptors on Saturday in Indianapolis. It's the second night of a back-to-back for the Raptors. Is it also the second night of a back-to-back for the Pacers? Are they playing on Friday night? Yeah, okay. So I think both teams are traveling as well. So good, good time. Not a fun Great scheduling. Hey, a worse Lovely product. scheduling. We love the NBA. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, so the... Game in uh, game two, uh, you know, I guess let, let's just start looking at matchup stuff, right? This is the fun part of playing a team in quick succession here is you get some adjustments and you kind of see them in real time. What do you think the Pacers do? Let's go back to what we were talking about before the break with OG. Do they change the way they approach guarding OG? Do they change the primary defender on him? Do they send double teams his way from the jump? Like, what's the approach to OG to try to stop him from punking them once again, which he's done very many times in a row now? Yeah, just generally for both teams. And for the Raptors, this is less the case because Nurse has been their coach for a while. But this is the first time this season with these rosters that we get to see how these franchises adjust against opponents they have played already, right? What kind of counters do they have in general? So it'll be kind of a revealing game for both teams and for Pacers fans specifically. They've never seen Carlisle, at least in this era, have a second opponent again, right? So this is the first time we'll get to see how he responds to a loss like that, which will be very fascinating. And yeah, chief among them, there's really two things, but the big one is how do, they, how do they slow down OG? What different things can they throw at him? Because the other one is how do they get Sabonis more involved? You know, you, right. you mentioned in that last segment, but even that is secondary to how do you stop a guy scoring 16 points in a quarter? And I think that, you know, I, I mentioned this last segment, the lowest hanging fruit would be just try Torrey Craig for a few minutes. You know, he talked about that. Rick Carlisle did at Pacers practice on Thursday. And mm-hmm. he was just like, yeah, I didn't I didn't go to him until the fourth quarter. That was basically his answer. <laughs> is an answer? Um, Forgot he was there. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it. He just he tried what he tried and it didn't work. Right. So maybe he changes the rotation slightly, especially because Brogdon is not most likely not going to play. Uh, mm-hmm. So the rotation will just look different in general. So Torrey Craig's one option, or they kind of go to what the Raptors do and really overload his space and make other guys either ha- – like the Pacers started terribly from three, which made it way easier for the Raptors to mm-hmm. overload Sabonis, right? Maybe the Pacers can overload OG and make the Raptors be the team that's shooting to win this time. So that could be another tweak as well. But yeah, just in general, that change of what do they do differently to slow down OG or in, in, in bigger forwards in general? Like I know it's OG, so it's different, but – that, that storyline has mattered for the Pacers for so long. How does Rick Carlisle adjust to stop that player archetype? It'll be fascinating from the Pacers' side in this game. Yeah, I'm curious. You know, if, if I am the Pacers, I might take a page out of the Raptors' book. And obviously, the Raptors have the personnel to play like a hyper aggressive defense where they're rotating and they're constantly trying to recover the space that they're making up by being over aggressive. I wonder even if the personnel is not quite there. And I know they have like two sort of hulking bigs and it's not like the easiest thing to do, but 
I wonder if maybe they just really lean into sending extra attention OG's way and trust that, oh, you know, Fred Van Vliet's not going to shoot six of seven from three again and trust that right. Delano Banton's not going to hit two threes again and maybe just kind of count on some regression from the Raptors. I think they shot 14 of 30 from three in that game after a pretty rough start. They were just like amazing to close the game, dead eye. Maybe you count on the Raptors being the Raptors on offense and, you know, considering the fact that you have Precious Achua. Scotty Barnes, Gary Trent Jr., Fred Van Vliet, kind of a round OG. It's not exactly like a murderer's row of offensive options. You know, Trent's been kind of hot and cold with his three this season. He was quite good. I mean, he's been good all season defensively, but, you know, his, his three's been up and down. You know, Precious and Barnes non-threats. I, I wonder if maybe you just try to force OG to make those passes out of those double teams a ton, and maybe you get enough luck, you know, forcing a bad pass from OG here, forcing a missed, you know, clunker of a three from Trent or from Precious or something there maybe that's the way you kind of you know get that margin back you know I, i'm curious i want to ask you about this so the raptors have not really had a lot of leads they they, they beat the the celtics pretty badly the celtics are an embarrassing uh <laughs> team with already hilarious vibes around them which is great um but last night was sort of the first inkling i had that if the raptors get a lead they're gonna be tough to catch up to like i know the nba now is like there's comebacks from 20 points down all the time but this team in particular feels like they're able to kind of lock it in and not give up those crazy spurts to teams maybe it's just the pacers and their sort of lack of offensive firepower with no tj warren and sort of you know working in chris duarte and it's not you know totally a well-oiled machine just yet but do you think the pacers are the kind of team that can sort of put points on the board in quick succession if the Raptors are to get out to a lead. I, I, I'm testing this theory that the Raptors are going to be like this amazing fourth quarter team when they go in with a lead just because their defense is going to be that smothering. But that could be totally wrong. Maybe the Pacers have the juice and maybe Chris Duarte goes for 20 in a, in a fourth quarter or something like that. And it's not my theory falls flat after two days. But I, I'm curious what you think about that. The TSN broadcast was sort of talking about how like all the Raptors players are playing so free in the fourth quarter, right? And right. because, like we mentioned earlier, they're such like a long and rangy team, defensively especially, that kind of style is really, really strong, right? So that's how they were able to just make the Pacers just – they had nothing they could do. So yeah, I, I, I do agree that the Raptors could be a good team playing from ahead for that reason if those guys aren't thinking so much because they're up by a lot. They actually could be – Better than most teams, and you kind of nailed it with the Pacers, right? Like, Sabonis is a lot of what they do sometimes anyway. So because they don't have, like, crazy good shooters on this team and because they don't have two of their best individual creators, although Levert could actually be back. Yeah, he was back. a game-time decision on Wednesday, right? So. In fact, yeah, I would imagine he is because he either will come back against his former team in Brooklyn or at home. Like, those seem like two good options. He's already trending sure. in that direction. So Levert could be back, which could be helpful. But they don't have a great self-creators on that team, so they're not they're not going to be a team that comes back from 20 down if they get in that situation. And to your point about the shooting when they were 14 for 30, like even now after that game, you check the Raptors' just general team page, and they're 24th in the league in three-point percentage still. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I hate to be captain reductive. I hate being this guy on the podcast. But like maybe that's the difference in the game. Maybe they just miss. You know, yeah. that, that's basketball for you. So perhaps overloading OG could change the game. And that way then the Pacers don't have to play from behind. Yeah, I, I think I would do that because I, I just I don't see a singular option to throw at OG and just say, all right, man, go to work. Maybe Torrey Craig's the guy, but then you have Torrey Craig on the floor for a long stretch of minutes, and that's going to cut into your offense as well. Right. And I feel like you need every offensive option you can have against this Raptors defense with the way it's playing already so far this season. So very interesting matchup and fun little dynamic to kind of uh, see how OG kind of plays into it all. 
Well, I got to flip your improvement question. How do the Pacers yeah. play better? We talked about that. The Raptors had a, a stretch or two where they were looking weak. The Pacers were winning in the second quarter. Like people forget this yeah. game was competitive for a while. The really bad part for the Raptors in this game was four bench dudes and Scotty Barnes. So yeah. one question is kind of wh- why did they try that? And two, if you know, how what can they do differently in those instances to not just be be a, a flotsam of players that can't really succeed? Yeah, Nurse was really kind of like heat checking himself with some lineups last <laughs> night, <laughs> and it worked in the first quarter. He brought in Birch, uh, the Canadian crew, Birch uh, Bar. Boucher, who's the other Canadian? Uh, Banton. Yeah, Birch Boucher, Banton. I think he was out there with uh, Barnes and OG. And it was just like, this is, I don't really see who's creating anything here, but they ended up kind of winning those minutes and they were just fine in that stretch. But yeah, the second quarters have been tricky because they haven't quite found a bench lineup yet. And, you know, Goran Dragic getting benched last night kind of, I think, you know, I. I'm really torn in this Dragic thing because I, I feel like he's a lot better than he's shown. And I also understand them not wanting to really like give him all that much time because he's not part of the long-term plans. It's kind of a weird conundrum. But I do think those second unit minutes have been a sore spot for the Raptors. And I, I feel like Nurse is still trying to figure out how to properly do his rotations right now while having one of you know his good guys on the floor. Basically, Fred and OG, one of them has to be on the floor at all times, I think, for this team to really succeed until Pascal gets back. I would even throw Barnes into that group of guys who should always, you know, one of those three should be on the floor, two of those three should be on the floor with the way Barnes has played. But yeah, I think, you know, avoiding lineups where it's Scotty Barnes and four bench guys is probably option number one if you're Nick Nurse. Like, that's just not going to get it done. And I don't know why there was ever an impression that it was going to get it done. You know, maybe it's just you're trying to steal some minutes, and that's kind of what the Raptors have done in the past. Like I said, you know, sometimes their uh, you know their second units have been like, all right, let's go with a four to two sort of stretch uh, over six minutes and just try to try to survive with five guys who play defense and no offense. That's been a plan for Nick Nurse in the past, but I don't know if it's terribly viable when you are co- going against like a legitimate NBA team in the second quarter. That is like presumably going to adjust to all of this stuff. It's yeah. The lineup stuff has been weird. And I think it's just a matter of nurse figuring out how to use the 11 or 12 guys he has who are pretty good. And you know that that you're going to get into some times there where you're experimenting and the experiment goes horribly bad and your Bunsen burner explodes all over you. And that could very well take place for the Raptors. If they continue to try out these bizarro lineups where Fred or OG is not on the floor. I agree with all of that. Uh, I'll be curious to see if they adjust in any way because without that stretch, like the Pacers would have been sunk way earlier, I think, in that game. But Brogdon getting hurt also completely changed the game. You wanted to play a short little game for us to end. Oh, the yeah. Yeah. Had a little parlor game I wanted to play. We got like three questions. It's not like it's anything crazy or anything like that. But the Pacers and Raptors figure to be teams that are close in the standings all season long. Unless the Pacers start is indicative of something really bad to come. I don't think it's going to be that bad. There's a lot of good players on that team. But you seem less than convinced from looking at your face right now. Um, but let's just assume that the Raptors and Pacers are kind of in that play-in bundle of teams fighting for you know spots 7 through 10. I want to just sort of see where your inklings are as a couple of these questions. So number one, uh, who finishes higher Raptors or Pacers who got, who you got higher in the standings? You know, you can maybe just go with your preseason prediction, or if you want to just use the five games that we've seen to maybe inform your take, what do you got? Yeah, no, my take on basically no team will change after five games, which I I hate to be that guy, but it's only been five games and they have a new coach. Mm -hmm. The thing about the Pacers that's going to be tough for everyone who doesn't watch all their games is their schedule through like early December is in insane like yeah it's unbelievable there's a chance that they're six and 15 with like no bad losses it's right. it's really ridiculous how hard it is so they might get written off pretty early and it won't be indicative of how 
how good they are, right? So I still believe that they are, you know, in that seven eight range in the East. That's kind of where I pegged them before the season. So I have no reason to change that. But the Raptors are impressing me uh, early. So perhaps they could they could get up ahead of the Pacers. But, but I don't I don't want to change my opinions after only five games. I don't think anybody really is like wow. I feel I was wrong about this team. Like I don't think anyone's been <laughs> that yet. I, I'm gonna do the thing you're supposed to do on a podcast, Tony, and have a hard take. Uh, <laughs> The Raptors are going to finish higher than the Pacers. I I feel really good about what they've done over the first week without Pascal Siakam. And a lot of the things they've not done well would be very, very helped out by the presence of Pascal Siakam. So keep forgetting he's not playing. He's really good. That's the thing. I'm really second team all NBA two years ago. People forget that. Yeah. um, Yeah. But the bubble, everybody, the bubble where everything was definitely real and not fake. Yes. Um, so yeah, hey, I covered a team with PJ Warren. The bubble was the realest thing that has ever happened ever. Yeah, that's true. And hey, the Suns did go to the finals. Maybe the bubble is the only real thing we've ever seen. <laughs> Who's to say? But um, I think I am fearful of the Pacers having like one of those seasons from hell. I don't know. But maybe that's too much. But maybe it's just me wanting to see some like something different from the Pacers, which they've been the same team for like four years, it seems. It'd be nice to see them uh, like do something different, even if it is fall to the bottom. Also, I could see the Pacers really using a high pick and being happy with that. That would be nice, too. Um, another one for you. Who finishes higher in all defense voting, OG Ananobi or Miles Turner? Ooh, that's tough. Miles got gets a lot of votes every year he plays enough games to be eligible. He even got a lot of votes last year, and he mm-hmm. only played like... 48%, 50% of the season. Uh, that's low. It's higher than that, but not much higher. So it's possible he gets it again. His trouble has always been the same thing. It's that Embiid and Gobert play his position. So yep. voting for him is always a little skewed by the fact that two beasts play center as well. So, you know, it, right so currently this season, I mean, I'll have to do a segment on this eventually. Uh, Carlisle's just not playing him like down yeah. the stretch of games. It could play a lot in the first half and a little in the third and then. Not at all. And they've had a lot of close games. And so, you know, the one center lineups have been better for the Pacers for since the dawn of time with this duo. So I get like why. It's just really strange how low the minutes are in the fourth. So if he doesn't end up playing very much, oh yeah, OG's gonna smoke him in the votes because he's not even gonna have enough minutes to have this giant sizable standout impact in the way that OG already has this year. Yeah, if Rick Carlisle were using him like uh I think you should use Miles Turner, which is just, uh, you know, play him a lot because he's good at defense and it's nice to have him out there. Also, he shoots some threes. Like, I like Miles Turner a lot. My Miles Turner agenda for the Raptors to trade for him still goes strong, even though it's not happening. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I think. I would go Turner if I trusted that he was going to play a lot, but the not playing in the fourth quarter really hurts uh, that right now. So I will say OG for now as well. I'll bring you the last one here. Who finishes? I will. Maybe what's the better way to frame this one? Okay, let's do this. Higher points per game between the two Dynamo rookies on these two teams. Scotty Barnes Ooh. or Chris Duarte. What you got? Wow. I loved Barnes pre-draft, so mm. this is a tough one. <sighs> you know, I want to pick Duarte because he has just been flames so far. Mm-hmm. He looks he looks awesome. Like guys who can, he's already he might already be the best off the dribble shooter on the Pacers, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm not going to pick Duarte is so lame but his role is going to get smaller when some of these guys come back from injuries Lavert was one of them brogdon's hurt now so it might not change that much like right away but right his 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 role will get smaller in a way that i don't think scotty's will um and scotty's shooting 16 percent from three which is like unsustainably bad he's taken like four threes he's not a good three-point shooter but once he gets any sort (laughs) of range i think he'll be like a solid 15 to 18 guy and i think duarte Mm. settles in around 14 12 ish 
once his role gets smaller, you know, he, he's got every right to shoot a bunch right now and he's doing a great job, but I, I don't know, maybe his role stays big or Warren comes back later than I'm thinking, but I'm going to barely go with Scotty, but that is Duarte's best skill so far. And it's very possible he catches him. Yeah, I will say Duarte finishes That's higher really points close. per you game. Yeah, sorry. Hey, man, I'm a professional uh, parlor gamer, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, I think Duarte will finish higher points per game just because it feels like they really need him a whole lot. And I do think that when Pascal Siakam gets back, there's a chance, even though I won't agree with it, that Barnes moves to the bench and just has like a lesser wow. role. I mean, that could open up to open him up to be more of an offensive presence in those second units, so it could kind of work in his favor scoring-wise in this very interesting parlor game that he definitely cares about. But um, I, I think I would probably pick Barnes to finish higher in, like, Rookie of the Year voting just because of the more sort of all-encompassing impact. But scoring-wise, I would say Duarte just because that dude really seems like he can get his own shot off. And Barnes, while he's, like, a really good finisher around the basket right now, still pretty dependent to have guys service him you know outside of the odd time where he'll put it on the deck and yam on isaiah jackson or whatever but uh it's uh yeah i i think i will go with duarte as the higher scorer to uh, isaiah jackson is such a raptors player i can't believe he's not on the Raptors. he's cool he was the only guy who could stay in front of uh scotty barnes yesterday he played incredibly well until he got hurt he was awesome yeah that was he blocked the lob that was so high i thought they were about to call goaltending and it wasn't even a shot (laughs) it was crazy yeah, I uh, hope he's all right. Is he going to be playing on Saturday? No, no, no that's a bummer. He's finally going to be playing for a while. Ew, that's not awesome. Uh, shouts to Isaiah Jackson. We like that guy. I like. I've seen him play one time, but I like him. He was fun. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think that should probably be it. We've got very long here, Tony, but this was a lot of fun. Thanks for doing this, dude. It's uh, always a good time to catch up. Where can people check out all of your wonderful work? Yeah, of course. Two people who talk into a microphone every day can't shut up when they're talking. To each other. As you can see, if you're on YouTube on the banner, I'm on Twitter at T East NBA at Lockdown Pacers. If you want to listen to the podcast and I write in a couple of places, I share all those the links on my Twitter feeds. That's the easiest way to figure out where they all are. Right on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, of course, at Woodley Sean. The Lockdown Raptors podcast is on your favorite platforms and on YouTube as well. And uh, you can listen to my other podcast called uh, Basketball. It's a fun podcast I do with Katie Heindel. Uh, in the most recent episode we did, we did our annual Halloween special where we do a dramatic reading of Katie's annual Halloween story, formerly posted to the classical, but she writes a new one every single year now for Basketball Feelings. And we did a very good dramatic reading where I did a good Clay Thompson stoner voice and a bunch of other fun voiceover stuff on that podcast you can listen to that on all your favorite podcast platforms as well and you can find my writing at raptorshq.com and that'll do it tony enjoy the game saturday buddy we'll talk again soon i'm sure